0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. You know, I've been thinking recently about the idea of when people get back, when people get back involved in working out, or they get back involved in a diet, or they're going to fast, or maybe some of us over COVID, we've gained our COVID 19, and we're trying to like wear it off. And, and we think about, well, how do I get back to the shape I was? How do I get back to where I was? And many times people are asking, how do I get back with Christ? How do I get closer to God? Maybe you felt distant. Maybe during this season, you felt very distant from God. Or you might be brand new here today and be saying, I'm just exploring is God real? And is this a safe place for me to be able to unpack some of my doubts or to learn more information? And the answer to that is, A hundred percent, absolutely yes. But when you and I think about getting back, when we think about having some gains in our lives, some positive gains in our lives, we typically have to change how we act. We have to change how we think. We have to change our desires. We got to change our habits. We got to do a lot of those things up here to experience gains out there, whatever those are. And it's not going to happen on its own. That's why we've all heard the phrase, no pain, no pain no gain, right? If you don't have pains, you're not gonna experience any of the gains that you actually want to experience. And those are the kind of things that you and I have to begin to think through. And I wanna say this suggests to you today that it's the same in our walk with Christ. And Christ has shown up now to the people in the first century, Jewish people who for years have been following the Old Testament law and they're saying, how do I experience some gains in my life because they're aware of their own flesh, they're aware of their own weaknesses, and they want to draw closer to God. And it's a beautiful picture, because if you have your Bible, open with me to Mark chapter five, or to Matthew chapter 5. Beginning with verse 1, it describes that, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And I just want to tell you here today that no matter what your history is regarding Jesus... If he's close to you, if you're just trying to figure it out, if you feel close to him or distant from him, that even right now, he is inviting you today to come to him and he will teach you. And so right where you are, right where you're seated in your living room or here in person, God wants to teach you today. And he's going to use this unique word as he begins to teach these people. And that unique word is the word blessed. It's the word blessed. And if you want to grow spiritually, and here's why I want to tell you, you need this sermon today. You and I need to learn to flip our pride and our pain to experience gains. So you and I gotta learn how to flip our pride that's on the inside. We gotta flip our pains from our current experience or our past in order to experience gains spiritually. And we need to figure out how in the world do I flip my pride? How do I flip my pains in order to do that? Now Jesus is using this word blessed. And that word blessed, like we talked about last week, I gave you the illustration that perhaps there was this, this daughter, she's got a dad and the dad owns a really um, valuable, and profit-bearing farm, maybe it's out in the Delta, it's a valuable farm, and anybody who would look at this young lady would say, she's blessed because she's going to someday inherit the farm. She's part of that family. She's got this opportunity to just, she's got a joy on the inside. She's got security. She's got good fortune. She didn't decide what family she was born into. And so she will someday be the owner of the farm and she's actually lives on the farm. She experiences the profit and the blessing of being on that farm right now. People would look at her and say, she's blessed. It's what she is. It's not what she's day becomes it's not who someday she will be she is actually blessed right now and we talked about that that this word that Jesus uses in the beatitudes when he says blessed or blessed is a word that describes the state of what already exists so blessing refers to the distinctive joy and security and good fortune of those who are part of the kingdom of God, those who have salvation through Jesus. It's what you already are. It's not what someday you hope to have. And it's not a qualitative if this, then this. But most people read the Beatitudes as that. They think, if I do this then I get that. If I'm this kind of person, then I get that. But that's not what the word blessed means. Blessed describes what already exists. So with that in mind, let's take a fresh look at the first two Beatitudes of Jesus. He starts off in Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse three, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, the first beatitude should not, be mean, it should not mean blessed are the poor because then the kingdom of God is theirs. It's not like a concession that if you were poor in this life, you get some better life in the next life. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's actually saying the word blessed, what he's saying is the one who is poor in spirit and contrite in heart. In other words, the one who humbles themselves And comes to salvation, humbles themselves to receive the good news of Jesus, to that person they will actually gain the kingdom of heaven. So it's not talking about poverty, it's talking about the one who intentionally makes themselves poor in spirit or contrite in heart. It harkens back to Jesus as he's talking. The people who are listening would be remembering the Bible of their day they would remember Isaiah. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 66, verse two, he says this, it's God speaking. God says, Han, has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. You're like, who, who just got to look on with favor? These are the ones. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The blessed describes the secure assurance of who you already are in Christ. But secure in Christ doesn't mean that you get to be proud, it doesn't mean that you get to be arrogant. It doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want and be unashamed. That's not what it means to be the blessed. Just like it would not mean that for the girl who owns a farm, she wouldn't just brag about, oh, my dad owns the farm or any of those kind of things. She's blessed in who, what she has, what she already exists, what she does. And she's going to choose humility. She's going to choose to be contrite in spirit. And a Christian's going to choose to tremble at the word of God. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. In fact, Paul warns against this. In Romans 12, verses three, Paul says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, the problem in our culture is And in the cultures around the world are many. Every culture has its set of problems. Every culture has got a lot of problems. Culture in America has tons of problems. But I would say one of the greatest problems in most cultures, whether it's here or abroad, is the problem of the heart. The problem of the human heart. Way too many people worldwide think too highly of themselves. They think only of themselves. They react from a self-elevated position and they speak proudly whatever they want from their mind. But God is looking out around the world and he's looking for those who will be humble in spirit, who will receive his word and humble themselves to obey it. The humble heart says this. The humble heart says, God says it, that settles it. See, all too often the proud heart is the one who's trying to argue God. God, I'm trying to argue what you say in your word to match the practices of my culture. I'm trying to argue what you say in your word to match a Western understanding, a Western philosophy of independence and thinking and doing things my way and having my set of rules. And we're trying to constantly talk God out of what he's been clear about in his word. But the one who will humble themselves, the one who, in a sense, trembles at the Word of God, is the one who says, you know what, I don't get it. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. But if God says it, that's going to settle it for my heart. I'm going to humble my heart because I want the gains of being the blessed. I want the gains of being close to God. I want intimacy with God. God says it. That settles it. More often than not, to tremble at the word of God is really to tremble at your own life. Right? We have to tremble at what goes on in our own life. You look at your life and you say, I- I'm so incredibly quick to have a prideful reaction. I'm just so fast. We should tremble at that. You should tremble at your deep rebellion and your desire for a convenient and easy religion. Like you want all the gains of being close to God, but you also kind of want to live as you please. And those two are not always compatible. We have to humble ourselves and be contrite before the Lord, be contrite before the, the work of God in our lives. And we need to tremble at his word. A terrible pride asserts itself in us. I mean, of all the beatitudes that Jesus uses, he uses this one first. Why do you think he says, blessed are the poor, and in English we add in spirit, otherwise we just think poverty. But why is he saying, blessed are those who have a contrite heart, a poor heart, a one who trembles at my word. Why would Jesus start there? Because he knows that the biggest barrier to the kingdom of heaven is your pride and my pride. He's saying, listen, person who is humble and humbles themselves they flip their pride into humility is the person who is self aware and they know that they need god's grace Like, I can't change it on my own. I can't do it on my own. God, I need you. And so I'm going to be humble and contrite because I know the condition that without assistance, I'm not saved. Without your intervention, I'm not saved. Without your work in my life, God, I'm not changed. And so, God, I'm going to take my pride that asserts itself in me, and i got to flip it to be humble before you. I want to gain the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because I'm going to flip my pride into humility. I'm gonna come and say, God, salvation's only found through your son, Jesus. Again, why did God make this the first of nine Beatitudes? Because he knows that pride is the greatest barrier to your salvation. He's gonna start there. The greatest barrier to being part of the blessed, the greatest barrier to being part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a person's pride. So, do you want to be closer to God? Then, as an act of a will, we gotta flip our pride. We gotta flip it. And what it means is we gotta flip my pride into a contrite and a humble heart before God. Not a not I'm moping, not a shameful God, I can't look you in the eye, but a heart that says, God, in humility, I can't save myself. I'm only blessed through you. God, only you can save. God, only you can change all this that's going on in my life. I need assistance to change. What's on the inside, that's the person who begins to experience the blessing of God. So what do you do? As an act of the will, you flip your heart. You say, my heart's a heart of stone. Honestly, I just don't care. I just am hardened. I just don't know if there's any hope for me. And these are all the messages that the enemy whispers so that you and I will join him in his misery. And he's coming and saying, you and I as an act of will, we flip our pride. We say, God, here's my heart of stone. And God says, good. Thank you. I will now take your heart of stone and I will soften it and begin to mold it and make it a heart of flesh that is life-giving to you again. But it starts with humility, it's to your gain. You and I gain every single time. When we flip our pride into humility, we gain every single time. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Flip your pride and pains to experience gains. Flip your pride and pains to experience gain. Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But he goes on and and says something in the very next sentence. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, sometimes we're poor in spirit. We're contrite before God. We're flipping our pride to be humble. But other times we are crushed in spirit. We weep we mourn, we grieve, we cry, and we do it all over again the next day. And we do it again the next day after that because loss is part of life. Life is brutal. Those who are the blessed of God are not exempt from the hardships of life. Did you ever notice that people a lot of times will think, oh, if I just give my life to God, then my whole life gets better. That's not a guarantee. You become the blessed, yes, and you experience the blessedness of that in this life, but part of being blessed is not a freedom from suffering, not a freedom from loss, not a freedom from grieving. Let's say that that young lady whose dad is the farmer, let's say the day comes and her dad dies. Well, now she inherits the farm. It was basically hers already, but now it's official, She's inherited the farm and people might look at her with envy and go like, oh, she just, you know, she got that whole farm. It's hers now. She didn't even know how to farm, you know, whatever they might think. But the truth is, it's not just all roses. She's not just happy about it. She is experiencing grieving. She's lost her father and life still has to go on. Is she still blessed? Yes. But does that mean she gets freedom from grieving or from mourning? No. No. And neither should it with you and me. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, where you're like, I'm grieving, but I don't even think I have time to grieve, and life just has to go on. A number of years ago, just in my own time with God, I was reading in Matthew 14, where Jesus learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded by a corrupt government, a corrupt king. And so Jesus is out. He's doing all these great miracles. He's doing all these great things. But word comes to him that his brother, his cousin, has just been murdered by a corrupt government. Could you imagine if you receive word at work of that happening to your brother, your sister, or your relative, your cousin? This is John the Baptist This is Jesus's cousin. This is John, the miracle baby who was born to Elizabeth in her old age. She was way past childbearing years, yet God allowed her to become pregnant. This is John the Baptist, the son of Elizabeth, that when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped in the womb because Mary was pregnant with Jesus. This is that John. There's this amazing bond in the spirit with them. This is John the Baptist that Jesus asked him to baptize baptize Jesus. And John's like, I can't baptize you. And he's like, no, you must do it. So the scriptures are fulfilled. And so this is that John the Baptist, the one who's fulfilling old Testament prophecy, paving the way, making the way straight for the Messiah, Jesus, to have a public ministry that Jesus is just starting now in sharing these beatitudes. It's that John and this guy gets beheaded. Don't tell me that doesn't impact Jesus. So what does he do? Jesus withdraws by boat and kind of goes across the lake, wants to be by himself and the crowd follows him. They don't leave him alone. He gets on the boat he goes traveling. They're like, we'll just walk on the shore. It's a big lake, but we can walk. And so they're walking. Now this crowd, you need to understand, is a massive crowd. Because as soon as Jesus lands and he gets off the boat, the people come to him and he has compassion on them and he begins to teach them and he begins to heal them. This is the crowd where Jesus feeds the 5,000 men. And this is 5,000 men. It's not recording the women and children. Just imagine the crowd. Jesus is grieving on the inside, but life still has to go on, and so he's he's ministering in that way, and when he gets done with that, he dismisses the people to walk back home to their homes. He puts his disciples on the boat, and he says, go to the other side of the lake, and Jesus goes up on a mountainside to pray. Just gotta be alone. And then in the night, Jesus walks down to the shore of the lake, walks on the water, does the miracle of walking on the water, joins his disciples in the boat, And the wind is against them. The waves are against them. He calms the weather. The waves calm down. The wind dies down. Everything gets still. They make it to the other side. He's exhausted. And the next day, the crowd finds out where he landed again. And so they come to him. But this time, Jesus does something so unique that I really hadn't ever seen in the scriptures before. That he literally is grieving He's exhausted. His life and his ministry has to go on. But the people come to him, and all they do is they come up to him, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't spit in the mud and make mud and put it on a blind guy's eyes, and his eyes are open. He doesn't, like, shout to the people. He doesn't cast out demons. He he does nothing. He's sitting there, and people come up, and they touch the edge of his cloak, and they are healed. And as I sat there just doing a quiet time, I remember back to all the times in ministry and with many of your families right here that we have walked through the dark night of the soul. We have walked through some of the most brutal experiences of life. And I've experienced personally, and in our family, we've experienced personally death. We've experienced losses. We've experienced the brutalities of life and pains that lead to grief. And when I read this, I believe literally the spirit of God was telling me and met me in my grief and said, Dave, I get it. I know what it is to grieve. And yet life still has to go on. I mean how many of you and I in this room are navigating that? You grieve, but life keeps moving. Life still makes demands of you. And Jesus is saying, I know what it is to grieve and for life to still make demands on you. And I'd feel like I have nothing to give, but people still come just to touch the edge of my cloak. And I believe Jesus is saying to you today, it's okay when you and I have pains and losses. It's okay that the scars continue It's okay when you have to grieve and the pain is carried. And there are moments that you only sit there and you can tell yourself, just don't quit. Just keep moving, just keep going. Jesus was flipping his pain into another's gain. And on the mountainside of the very same lake where he's gonna find out in the future that his cousin gets killed, Jesus speaks this beatitude. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, could it be that he speaks this beatitude as the words are coming out of his mouth? He knows, because he's God, that in the near future he will grieve deeply and still have to continue on with his life and his mission while mourning the loss of John the Baptist. And yet he gives us hope that the blessed who mourn will be comforted. What a beautiful picture. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's a great hope. That's why when you go to the celebration of life, of someone who is among the blessed, a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, there's pain, there's loss, it's hard. But there also is that a hope that underlies it. It might not even be spoken to a big extent, but there's just a hope in the middle of the pain as compared to when you go to a memorial where there is a loss and it's a loss and that's all it is and they have no hope and they don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe that there's a God. They don't have a savior. There's no explanation for their suffering but to suffer. What a great hope to know that those of us who mourn will be comforted and it gets even better because what Jesus is saying has a deeper meaning. He says this, the statement is actually what's called the divine passive. And what that means is it means God will comfort the blessed who mourn. See, if it was not a divine passive, if it was a divine active, that statement would basically sound like this. Hey, mourners, just cheer up. Shake it off. Get over it. There's no comfort in that at all. But what a beautiful thing that God is the one who's the divine participant. God is bringing comfort to those who mourn. And if you're taking notes today, write this down. Suffering is an extraordinary teacher. Christians are never urged to seek suffering, but they're encouraged to recognize it as an extraordinary teacher. Like pain, it rearranges our priorities. It reminds me of the people, some of you who might be in this room, who in November of 2018 had to flee the mountain town of Paradise, California among the pine trees as a forest fire rushed through it and basically decimated that entire town, killing so many people, people stuck in traffic in their cars and they couldn't get out in time. And if you were in that experience, you would realize that suffering is an extraordinary teacher. You'd learn in that moment that your possessions are at the end of the day, far less important than your very life and the life of the people you love. You'll flee all your possession to save your life. Why? Because suffering is an extraordinary teacher. Well, what happens when people mourn, and we've always heard the phrase that hurting people hurt people, but what happens when people mourn deeply, yet they have no concern for others who experience pain or who are mourning? They're just all caught up in their own mourning. It's all about me. It's all about my life. It's all about my victimization. It's all about my mourning. It's all about my pain. And they have no concern for others. Let me tell you, there is no hint of that kind of person among the blessed of God. The Christian who's been through brutal experiences, maybe they've been oppressed, maybe they've been racially oppressed, maybe they've been marginalized or minimized, they must not seek the retaliation or suffering of their oppressors. I mean, I know it's hard not to, right? When you curse those who cause you pain, does it make things better or does it make things worse? When you want to get back at those who've harmed you and brought you pain, does it get better or does it just compound the situation? It makes it incredibly conflicted. It makes it incredibly compounded. It's not great. I know it's hard not to, but listen, among the blessed of God who will be comforted by God in the midst of their suffering, it is the way of the blessed. Yes, we seek justice, but we gotta do so without turning it into vengeance. See, our culture plays this game right now, and they say, if I've been oppressed, then I'm gonna turn around and become the oppressor. If I've been oppressed or marginalized, then I'm gonna marginalize those who've marginalized me. And what happens is they say in the name of justice, and then they redefine it, because to them, justice now means vengeance. And the Bible's clear that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is God's, it's never ours. Why? Because vengeance compounds it. We're not the righteous judge. We can't compartmentalize and divide our emotions and our experiences without that huge desire to want to inflict equivalent pain on those who've harmed us. We need a God-sized love to do that, to be completely just. So what do the blessed of God do when it comes to injustices in our world? The blessed of God pursue freedom for victims of human trafficking and modern slavery, which I believe is met in the kingdom of God. If you look worldwide at those who are fighting the biggest battles against sex trafficking, the biggest battles against human bonded labor, the biggest battles to bring freedom to the oppressed, it is the Christian church worldwide leading that cause. I believe it's found in the kingdom of God. Because who knows better the oppression of sin and the freedom in Jesus than those. who've been saved. Yes, you can throw humanitarian aid at it, but those on the front lines in the furthest out villages in India, in the hardest places to reach in Guatemala, they are the believers and a lot of them are here in our church. We fight for justice. The blessed of God pursue racial justice, which is answered and I believe met in the kingdom of God. What's the great equalizer? It is Humans coming before a holy God and giving their lives to a holy God and becoming the family of God together. There's not a better medium for reconciliation than the kingdom of God. The blessed of God reach out to the least of these, to the poor, to the downtrodden and the suffering. Why? Because the blessed of God, what do we do? We have been blessed and we flip our pride to humility. We flip our pains to experience gains. And not just for ourselves, but for those that were loving. Write this down. Blessed who mourn deep loss can be blessed by God in that suffering and mourning. There is a secret that happens in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our mourning, and that is even in that you and I can be blessed by God. We can have an intimacy with God in those seasons that we don't have in maybe any other season. Because nothing is as painful to drive you to your needs as that. And you have this intimacy, you can be blessed by God with that moment. Uh, Have you ever read something in the Bible and you kind of scratched your head? Like, I don't know if I agree with that like at all. In Ecclesiastes, and I'm reading from the ESV right here, it says this in chapter seven: it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Hey, have you ever read that for years? I have read those verses. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like mourning is better than laughing. I don't know what your personality is like, but mine doesn't love that, right? That's not how mine works. And I've had to ponder these verses and thought about it because I've been to too many memorials where, you know, the photos go up on the screen and your throat gets tight and the tears sting your eyes and you see the pain that's happening to those who've lost people or you yourself have lost people and it hurts and you experience that firsthand and you have more tears. But there's this moment. There's this moment when the blessed share about the lost and about their faith, where the blessed share stories of people. And and among the tears and among the, the wailing and among the hurt, there's this really unique sound that happens. It's called laughter. And some people laugh and it eases the tension in the room and there's some more tears and people recall their faith. It's a beautiful thing. What happens? In a really strange way, comfort happens. In a strange way, the heart was in fact made glad in the house of mourning. Why? What happened? It got flipped. The pain got flipped and it became your gain even in the house of mourning of all places. So what do the blessed do? The blessed flip our pain to experience gain. And we don't just mourn losses in life like deaths. We don't just mourn losses in life like financial loss or loss of your job or loss of business or loss of your boyfriend or your girlfriend. We don't. We mourn those, but we don't just mourn those. There's another kind of mourning that's important for the Christian. And that is this. We also mourn over the evil in our own lives that we realize we are unable to conquer it without the aid of someone else. We should mourn the evil in our own lives. And what a comfort to have a savior who's able to meet us in our weaknesses with the weakness that he himself experienced. He understands our weaknesses and he's able to give us comfort as we now turn around and give comfort to others with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We have a Holy Spirit who helps us mourn the opportunities, not just the evil in our lives, not just in the shame sense, it shouldn't be there at all. We are overcomers. We're conquerors. The blood of Christ covers us. But we still should mourn that capacity of evil in our lives. We should mourn the good things that we should have done that we just didn't do. God, I should have reached out and loved my neighbor, but I was just too selfish with my time. God, I should have shared my faith in that moment. But I, but I, but if only, if only I had shared my faith, if only I had reached out to my neighbor. And the blessed learned to do something. They learned to flip their pain. They learned to flip it even the pain about their own shortcomings. And when they flip it, it sounds like this. Instead of saying, if only, if only I would do that, if only I would do this, they flip it and they say, next time. Next time, I will love my neighbor. Next time, I will share my faith. Next time, I will spend some quality time with God because I just ran ahead of him throughout my day. Next time. What is that doing? That's the person who's self-aware. That's the person who's the blessed, the person who understands that they are blessed in how they exist. It's a state of what exists already in them. But they say, God, I want to please you. I want your favor. I want to honor you in these ways. And so God, next time I will look for opportunity to be blessed, to be a blessing. So listen, we need to mourn losses, but we also need to know that God's comfort meets us there. And in the same way, God's comfort will meet you regarding your own shortcomings, your own sins. And he will meet you right there and say, I get it. And yet now walk in this way. You're the blessed of God. Write this down. Number four, leverage your hurts to help others heal. We gotta inventory our hurts. We've got to understand what our pains are and we've got to inventory them. We've got to say, I can just either carry those hurts and continue to mourn or hopefully time will heal or work through them and process through those or we can leverage hurts and traumas and say, how do I leverage this in a way that could help somebody else heal in their pain, in their woundedness, in their mourning? We flip the blessing. And I believe when it comes to our pain, it's kind of like, it's weird. It's kind of like a backflip. So it's not like a front flip. It's like a, a backflip to inventory your pains and your suffering and leverage them to help someone else heal. And in that moment, you're flipping your pride, you're becoming vulnerable. You're flipping your pains to experience gains. And that's easier said than done. Flipping your pain, by the way, it doesn't redeem it. If you say, I've got this pain, I'm gonna share it with you. It doesn't just redeem your pain. I think it works like a painkiller. We're always going to walk with a limp, right? When you've been through hard stuff, you're going to walk with a limp. It doesn't fix it so you don't have a limp anymore. It just means you experienced a painkiller. You took your pain and you flipped it to someone else who's experiencing something similar. And it's to your gain and to theirs. And it often translates to someone else's miracle in the midst of their pain. You've been blessed by God to be a blessing. So we flip our pride into humility. And maybe for you today, that's what you're realizing. That over the course of this season where life has squeezed you, you've become proud. And maybe right now, God is just saying, come to me, be humble and contrite a heart. Tremble at my word, love me. And some of you, you've been mourning. You've been mourning the loss of normalcy. You've been mourning the loss of a person. You've been mourning the loss in in our culture. And God is saying, I will comfort you in your losses, but learn to flip your pains to help somebody else along the way as well, because that's exactly what Jesus did. When you flip your pain for another's gain, you are more like your heavenly father than I think you realize. Because that's what God did. Hebrews 12 says this. It's such an interesting verse, and we'll close with this. It just says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of, our faith, or for, of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize there was, a, there was a cross before he sat in the throne of God? It wasn't just all roses for him, but such an interesting statement for the joy set before him. Remember, joy doesn't mean happiness. Joy means by this act, there will be a security. There will be a blessing to other people. There'll they'll be a good fortune. There'll be a security and, and an overall joy that the People could have salvation from their sins. That through my work on the cross, through my death, through my resurrection, through ascension into heaven, that people could put their faith and trust in what I did on the cross and they would no longer be oppressed under their sin. They would no longer be condemned, but they could have new life. They could become the people of God. They could become the blessed of God. Isn't that good news? And that's what he did. What was the joy? The joy wasn't, hey, I get a crown of thorns. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to get whipped and beaten. It wasn't that I'm going to bleed. It wasn't that I would just absolutely get mocked and spit on and punched in the face and then nailed to a cross and then set out in the sun and then mocked some more while I'm there. That's not the joy. The joy set before him was you that by him enduring the pain and the condemnation of our sin, we could have new life in him. And that's what Jesus is offering you today. It all starts with Jesus. There's no way to become the blessed of God except through Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's his pain for your gain. It all starts with him. And the only way to become the blessed of God is to humble yourself and give your life to Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just, I'm asking you to do that so you're not a distraction to yourself or others around you. If you're watching online, maybe you just set your phone to the side so you're not distracted by it yet. But in this moment, if you realize I've never humbled myself and given my life to Jesus, I've never said yes to his offer of eternal life, his offer of forgiveness of sin. If you've never done that, then today is the day for you Pray a prayer to him like this right after me. You just repeat what I'm saying here. Mean it in your heart. Have a contrite heart, a humble heart, and just say this. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Wash me as white as snow. Forgive me of everything I've ever done wrong. Because today, Jesus... I give you me. And right now in this room or online, if you've prayed that prayer, will you just raise your hand and show us that you've made a decision, that decision today? That today was the day you said, I will give my life to Jesus. And if you've made that decision today, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. That the angels are rejoicing in heaven. That God loves you right where you are. That you have become the blessed of God. That the state of what exists in you is now eternal life. And that is the greatest news, and other people need to hear it. Will you, the blessed, invite and bring those who need to be saved here in Elk Grove or around the world? Would you let them know about the good news through Jesus? You can share this at any time, and hosts will tell you what to do from this point forward. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We ask you to watch over us. We thank you for your great comfort God, we humble ourselves before you. We step back toward you. We want the gains of a deeper walk in spiritual life with you. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Will you give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.